The Cat and Cloud Coffee Podcast is sponsored by Steeped Coffee. Steeped Coffee is a new brewing method that combines specialty craft coffee into a single serving bag. You don't need a machine. You don't have to make a mess. All you have to do is add hot water wherever you go. Each steep pack is individually sealed. It's nitrogen flush, so it stays fresh. And it's got this special full immersion filter. And the filter is ultrasonic sealed, which means it's sealed together with no glue or no staples. So there's no weird stuff floating around your coffee. Steeped is a benefit B Corp. They ethically source all their coffee. Their packaging is fully compostable and they believe that business should be done without compromise. You can get your hands on Steeped coffee packs at steepedcoffee.com. That's S-T-E-E-P-E-D coffee.com. Asking your local retail stores to start carrying Steeped or having your favorite roastery reach out and kind of get in touch. If you're in Santa Cruz, come on by any of the Cat and Cloud locations. We have it there for you. Basically, they're just doing their best to change the coffee industry, make your life more convenient with their pre-portioned, pre-ground innovation. So tell all your friends. All right. Monday, Cat and Cloud Coffee Podcast. Chris Baca, that's me. Charles Jack. That's me. That's him over here. Back <laughs> by popular demand, Hello. aka Jack by popular yeah, demand. Dude, you got me. Track got, me down. Got him. I think you tracked me down on this one. <laughs> this one's yeah, I did. this one's for real. I did. I've got a little rant later. He's got uh oh, he's got a rant. He's always got a rant. Uh, quick little micro update. We got some fun things in the store. We got some really cool cupping spoons. If you're looking for a gift for someone, they're 15 bucks. They're chill. They'll make you slurp like a pro. Got some good, uh, good drinkware, good drinkware going on right now. And extra excited. I'm looking at the calendar right now. Our two year anniversary is coming up. We're a toddler on the 30th. Dude. Can you believe Fuck no, I can't. From I'm like that tripping. first day that we were like doing interviews and like seeing who came in the door. No. To now. No. I still feel like <laughs> we're just getting going. I, yeah, it's still right. There's so many things we want to improve and like tweak and even just with the store, like little improvements here or there. How did we even make it? <laughs> How did it work? <laughs> I think it's all of our employees are just pretty awesome. They're super sick. Yeah. They're they're really they're really the jam. And just before we get into what we're going to talk about, because that's super powerful, I wanted to touch base on the thing, that number, which you could remind me of the percentage of the offsite, where you took some of the financials, broke them down, and looked at the pool of money that we made, like bottom line as a company, everything all in that massive cash. And then the percentage of that massive cash that we pumped back into employees on things like employee development courses, yep. doing offsites, leadership, everything that's like extracurricular that's not a paycheck kind of thing. Yeah. Like what was it? 40 It was around 40 40 45%. 40 to 45% of our like potential net income that just went we took and put back into into benefits for our employees to make this I mean hopefully one of the best places to work in the country. That was a number cuz I you see all the stuff that we do and it gets you hyped, you know, like when we send people to do, well, you know, sending people to origin yeah. and sending people to do some development gets me super stoked. But then seeing that number was really, really powerful to me. So it was like almost, almost half yeah. of like our yeah. potential earnings yeah. just cycled right back through into yeah. the company. And I think and that's what you can do if you're focused on running a good business, then you have the money to really like do do things with it that you're passionate about. And that's what we're passionate about is creating a, like an amazing environment for our employees who are growing and developing. And, and that's why it's possible. 
It also, in a selfish way, makes me feel better about selling stuff. Yeah. So if we do like a merch plug, if you <laughs> yeah. buy a cupping spoon or if you buy a whatever from us, you're not just buying that thing. You're buying into that kind of culture. And yeah. that's the kind of culture that we hope's become more prevalent in the business world at all, like just in the coffee world specifically, but overall. And yeah, particularly just in service businesses. There's so many people in service businesses that don't get the benefits that people get in other kinds of industries. And I I think that's ridiculous. Like, I think there's a way as like conscious, uh, you know, as conscious owners and intentional owners to provide that kind of workplace experience for people. Like it's possible. Right there with you. We talk about that. We'll talk about that more in detail. But today, yeah. today, dude, C market, dude. I want to get C market. Yeah, I'm, I'm so angry. Dude, Chuck's angry. Dude, angry so Chuck. Wait, let's back this thing up. Yeah, let's back it up. Not everyone. What is the C market? Quick, quick, like little snippet for people who yeah, maybe heard the term or don't know. Right, the C market is the international price of coffee. Uh, based on based in dollars um, that basically coffee around the world is is priced on and different levels of quality are often given like a differential price off the sea market and the base of the sea market is heavily based on Brazil and yeah. its production yeah and uh, since Brazil's the largest producer in the world you know they're maybe half of world arabica production um, you know the price is uh, super related to to events and production in Brazil and when people say sea market or commodities market it's the price the coffee's traded off of and it's basically s- in, in a nutshell, would you say it's like setting the price for what you can get coffee for? Yeah, for like a base level of quality that like that's kind of quality that would qualify as like deliverable against like a C market uh, price. And then the differential that you're talking about is if you take a different region or a different country with a different different region within a different country and you can buy Against a differential, explain that a little bit more. It's a yeah, certain amount over C market. Totally. Buying off a differential is basically like it's one aspect. It's one way that traders, coffee traders, uh, determine quality, but quality relative to the differential, which is different than maybe what we do, where we're just establishing, you know, say with Benjamin in Honduras, we're establishing more of like a an intrinsic price for the quality, like regardless of the C market. Um, but in a lot of places, things are traded. The quality is the differential off the C market. So say for, you know, like a Columbia, like Excelso coffee, maybe the differential for that quality above what the C market quality would be, would be like a hundred, like say just a hundred points. Okay. So Columbia Excelso, that's like that quality, it's going to trade at like a differential of 100. So if the C market is a dollar, that coffee is going to cost $2. Got you. But as the C market moves, that price of the actual coffee will move too, what even is though the, the differential stays the same. What's like the point to dollar correlation? Or is it as direct as that? No, it's not as direct. It's more just... Um, yeah, I don't think it's, it's less of like a percentage and more... And you, it's more supply demand in that country. Gotcha. So, like in Kenya, if you've got a really down year and a low supply, like the differentials for Kenya may move higher because of there's there's less supply in that country. It's essentially more rare. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. And then the other, like little evil monster 
monster that's yeah. lurking in the shadows. Maybe he's not a monster. I don't know. Is fair trade. So fair trade also operates as a function of the sea market price. Yeah, I think fair trade. They, they uh, you know, organic fair trade. I think what organics maybe like ten cents above the sea price. Fair trade's like twenty cents above the sea price. They're they were designed as like backstops against if the sea price gets kind of like lower than the cost of production in a lot of countries that these farmers still are able to be able to make a little money. It's kind of like a, a little insurance plan. Right. So you could think of fair trade as almost a guaranteed differential, but yeah. the other thing that it does is it sets a price floor yeah. to where the price will never drop below yeah. X amount. Yeah, exactly. And depending on what's going on in the year and what's happening... The shitty thing about that is that it could still be really, really low. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and yeah. not represent good quality at all. Yeah, fair trade is such, in my mind, like a misnomer. It's like, it just really doesn't represent a sustainable income even for a lot of farmers, even at fair trade prices. In my mind, it almost like... It, pr it provides, like, the tiniest bit of protection against the absolute worst-case scenario, yeah. but doesn't provide a situation to where you could really make a stable living right. selling coffee, even if you always sold it at Agreed. fair trade. Because you're still kind of this slave to the sea market in, yeah. in some way. Exactly. So... Sea market is low right now. Yeah, the sea market is, it, you know, last week or a few weeks ago, it touched under a dollar. Jeez. Which <laughs> fucking sucks. And now maybe it's hovering like right around a dollar or a little bit above a dollar. And the thing that I really, that really pisses me off is I've been having a few conversations with our importers and they're, you know, talking about this and they're like, oh, well, you know, we've, they're telling me how they've had these coffee roasters and green buyers calling and be like ecstatic that the sea market's like at a dollar. And that's, it's fucking bullshit because dude, it doesn't make any sense for the, to be happy that the price is so low when it's below the cost of production for essentially every country in the world, except Brazil. And the other thing that happens is this incentivizes farmers all over the world to stop growing coffee. If the products they're growing are below the cost of production, they're going to stop growing that and they're going to move into and move, you know, their production to a different kind of crop. Or if they can't do that and they're like all in on coffee, they're like going to be in like some disastrous family situations. So it's like no one should be happy that the sea market is at a dollar or below a dollar. Like, and that, the, that just, like, super makes me angry. So the reason that people are hyped is because, let's say you're buying specialty, sea markets at a dollar, the stuff that you're buying, you're buying it against this differential. Yep. So you can get really nice coffees for not a lot of money. Yeah, you're getting it cheaper. Which seems cool for you right. as the roaster, but only maybe right then. And yeah, it's, it's a short-sighted view, and it's super selfish. It's super short-sighted because I was working in Ethiopia in 2010, and that was the last price, last time the sea market was above three dollars. I think the sea price made it to three twenty-five. So think about that, everybody who's buying coffee at a dollar plus a differential. That you know, basically that one day you could be buying coffee at $3 plus a differential because what happens is at a dollar, all these coffee farmers, again, like 
stop growing coffee. It's unprofitable. They switch to different crops. But there's like a years, like a two, three, four year lag before you start to see that in the price of coffee. So like right now, sure, you might be making a little bit extra money buying coffee cheaper. But three, four, five years down the line, there's going to be less supply of coffee and the price is going to be it's a lot spike. higher. What is, if we back this thing up a little bit, what would you say is like a, I know it goes up and down all the time, but an average C market price that feels relatively yeah. stable? Like, because we, we talked about it being a dollar, yeah. but how low is that in compared to like what it's been like in the last couple of years? Yeah, totally. You've seen it kind of hang out between like a dollar sixty and two dollars is probably a range, um, you know, that you've seen it hang out in uh, historically where, um, you know, I think that's an area that works for a lot of people. Um, but yeah, down at a dollar and, it, it, and you know, you could, you could, I don't want to like, you can't blame Brazil because another aspect of how the sea market is priced and why people grow coffee in different areas is based on how you're like, is based on your currency. Right. And just to get into that for a minute, it's like, if you look at a chart of the Brazilian real against the dollar, right? Because they're like selling in dollars and receiving reals, like all the Brazilian farmers who are exporting their coffee. Gotcha. Right. So as the price of coffee goes down, the Brazilian real has been going down as well. So that means they're, st they're getting more, like they're still essentially getting the same amount of reals for their dollar at $1 per pound of coffee as they were at like $1.50. So for them, their cost of production keeps going down as like as the price of coffee is going down. So that's why they're just continuing to keep... They can to, just keep cranking they out coffee. They can just coffee. keep buying coffee because their cost of production is actually decreasing. That's... And it's different. For, <laughs> that's and it's, that's why it's such yeah. a hard problem because every country is different. Like in Mexico in the last few years, it's actually become more enticing to grow coffee because... Uh, the peso to the dollar, it used to be twelve. You like $1, you'd get 12 pesos. Right around now, I think you get $1, you get 20 pesos. Mm. So for someone selling a dollar of coffee, and now you're getting 20 pesos. 20 pesos instead of 12 pesos. So that, you know, that could make it more enticing to, to plant coffee in certain areas, um, that this currency aspect is an aspect of it as well that complicates trying to find an overall solution. Is coffee always traded against the dollar? Like when we're setting the C market, because we always tend to think of coffee coming to the States here, yeah. but obviously a lot of it goes to Japan and Europe. Yeah, the main, uh, like I guess the main market is traded in New York. The Robusta market is actually traded in London. Oh, no So way. it's traded against the pound. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> That's it's cool. And, um, you know, and... And it can all get converted into like euros for roasters who are buying in Europe or Australian dollars who are buying uh, in Australia. But um, kind of like the biggest market in the world is kind of based on dollars. So we've got this problem of a really just, it seems maybe volatile is the wrong word, but just through my time in coffee, it's been like super volatile. I've super in my short time, I've seen a couple dips that are this low. I remember the $3 times and everywhere in between. 
what's the best first step to try to stabilize this thing? What can we do yeah. on our end to get things going? In I the think right on direction? our end, it's, it's creating as many quality-based contracts that are irrespective of the C market as possible. And when you say irrespective of the C market, you're talking, cool, we think this coffee is worth $3.75. We'll buy this coffee at $3.75 or book this coffee at $3.75, whether the C market's at $1.75 or whether it's at $0.98. Cents. Yeah, exactly. And part of that takes like speaking a common language if we could all agree what an 87-point coffee is or some some other metric of quality, then you can start to, cool, we all agree this is an 87. Cool, I'm going to pay you 375 for this coffee or $4 for this coffee or, or 425 or whatever it is. And regardless of what the C market is, then we can create, I think, a more stable uh you know, market where we're able to anticipate what revenues farming is fucking hard work, dude. And the more we can create stable ideas of revenue for producers and stable costs for us, like the better we both will be as partners. I remember being at the mill in Honduras and seeing a bunch of the sea market coffee be dropped off. And the one thing that I noticed is that it wasn't, it wasn't dried. It was still just like, totally wet like really sloppy because yeah. the price was low enough that it wasn't worth the extra labor dollars <laughs> yeah. even if you took those extra steps to increase the quality that much there yeah. would be no monetary benefit to the farmer so yeah. you just have all this coffee that's just kind of dumped totally looking super haggard yeah <laughs> just that's sad that's little coffee good. yeah that's not good for anybody either it just looks terrible and that's that's all the all the sea stuff what about the the opposite side of the situation if the C market is really, really strong, really high, let's say it's in that $3 range. Yeah. And that's, this is the other side of it. And it's like, I don't think any system's ever going to be perfect. And we talk about kind of developing long-term contracts, irrespective of, uh, irrespective of the C market, um, or even year to year contracts, irrespective of the C market. But actually that was kind of what we were doing at TechnoServe when I worked in Ethiopia and, the problem that you potentially see and, you know, again, there's issues on the roasters part, but also actually on the producers part was the C market was higher than the contract price that the farmers had agreed to, even though the contract price that the farmers had agreed to was based on quality and it was a fair price, but they were seeing, you know, and these are smallholder farmers in Ethiopia who are trying to maximize their income every year, but they were seeing their neighbors who didn't have contracts selling into the C market at say 325, you know, there's a differential for Ethiopia, but say 325, but they were locked in at like 225. And so basically what happens is some farmers won't deliver into the contracts and they'll like, they won't deliver their coffee to the co-ops so that the co-ops can fulfill their contracts. So there's a potential issue there. Just, you know, you want to, you want to hope that everyone will, uh, you know, follow through on their part of the contracts, but it's like, it's real life and it's people who are just trying to survive and people who are trying to put their kids to school and have, you know, have all these like things that we take for granted. So it's like, in part, I don't know if you could blame them for wanting to withhold their coffee and send it to the C market instead of the contract. But that's, that's the potential issue you see on the other side are just producers not delivering into contracts where the prices are lower than the C market. Do you think that there is 
a way to meet in the middle or, okay, let's like, if I back this whole thing out and I'm looking at it purely from a mathematical point of view and I see the C market go up and down and up and down and up and down. And I'm thinking, man, that seems like a super stressful way to live if you're a farmer, because you don't know from like now to three years from now, what your product is going to be worth, which is a scary ass fucking way to do business. We could never operate like that no. because we have an expectation of, cool, we can sell a cup of coffee for X amount of money. We can sell a latte or a pastry for X amount of money. And that's built into our model. And if those expectations aren't met, we're not here anymore. Yeah. You know, we, we just can't operate and do the things that we do. So it seems like phase one, which is probably more complicated than I'm going to make it sound, even if sometimes farmers are taking less then the C market, if it's still a quality-based pricing, it kind of flattens out that roller coaster ride a little bit yeah. to where if you're not like $1.25 one year, $3 one year, $0.98, cents, one twenty, yeah. and you're all over the place and you can plan, cool, I'm going to get three. I'm producing coffee that's like generally worth three fifty year over year. I can, I can plan my life in that zone. Phase one, caveat is that Small shareholder farmers, like you said, you're basically trying to maximize revenue every year. Do you think it's at the responsibility of the roaster to, if you book a contract, let's say we book a contract at $3. Yeah. C markets at three fifty. We want to maintain that relationship. Is that on us to kind of like pony up and pay that differential, or could be? How does that work? And the only reason I say in that in the vein of maintaining just. The- just in the vein of like maybe we're in a better position to do that than them that's all i'm thinking because for the most part our life is probably way easier than theirs oh, i and, mean 100 percent. and we have way more flexibility and 50 cents to us even though it impacts us because yeah. we have everything dialed in and we run a business a certain way i would maybe I would be we lying have, if i said yeah. we weren't more flexible than right. they were maybe we have more levers to pull we probably have more levers to pull to where they're selling coffee and maybe some other things they grow on the farm we can activate a cup we can activate other avenues of sales to maybe yeah. get like some little bumps and yeah and, and i mean that's what you saw in 2010 starbucks pete's like raised prices a little bit and you know that's a lever that we have as a business to do and it's maybe not ideal but it, if that's kind of what you have to do to kind of maintain a smooth like mo- more fair system overall it's like i think that's probably worth it yeah i'm i i'm just like kind of throwing ideas out there and to see the key i think step 1 which is what got me so charged up when you were talking about it is i hear what you told me, which is importers telling you that people are all juiced that they could get coffee for yeah, a little bit that. of money. And then I'm like, fuck that. Fuck those people. But then I'm like, they probably don't even know. Yeah. They're probably not super educated and they're probably just looking at their own business yeah. and they have like a small shop and a roastery and they're yeah, trying and to they, figure it out. They're just trying to survive. They're and, just trying to survive. Right. But I think more so than that is the market is kind of like this elusive, sometimes complicated thing. And you could work in coffee for years. You could have a coffee business and really not understand how C market works or the implications of what's happening. Yeah. And here I'll kind of sidebar for a quick minute, quick second and just say, I did a podcast the other week with MIF and MIF. You can, um, you can check it out. If you find my Instagram, it's just C H U K J A K. And uh, we'll put a link in below to the, 
Yeah, the follow, link. Follow Jack Life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's uh, my daughter, Phoenix. No, but there's some uh, other coffee stuff. And I did an interview where we kind of dive deep into the green supply chain and, and being a green buyer. And, uh, yeah, the link's in my bio, so you could go check that out as well and uh, get, like, a little bit more info as well. Deep dive. Yeah. Get a deep dive. But, I mean, going back to it, I think the first step is really I'd love to see us as an industry rally around quality-based pricing versus C-based pricing. And that's something that we try to do in our green program is to each year add um, new relationships that are more direct and more quality-based pricing irrespective of the C-market. Like this year, we've got a few, a new relationship with uh, um, eight... Ada Battle, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. everybody with Ada oh. Battle, and um, it's it's um, a really awesome program that she started. She's working in Brazil, El Salvador, Mexico, and we've got coffees. We're really stoked. We're just about to release a coffee from Mexico. I'm excited about that one. I cupped yeah. it yesterday. Mark did the Wednesday cupping here, and I was I'm impressed by what I'm tasting yeah. from. Mexico in the specialty arena yep. compared to like five or six years ago. 100%. I don't know if it's increased quality of coffee or just people are doing better at finding the right stuff yep. or a combination of both, but I, I love it because there's a little bit more of a cultural connection for me, yep. and it's so close. It's a lot of people... There's a lot of baristas with that heritage, yep. like come from families from mexico or like have ties Dude, to that, a, that where in mexico are your grand your grandparents are from mexico they won't say <laughs> here's the thing it's like so <laughs> secret <laughs> there's so i was fortunate enough to be able to spend like some time with my great grandma yeah on my dad's that's side cool. and she couldn't speak english at all and I was always curious as to like what was going on. And she would always say that they're just like, oh, we're from around here. And my mom would always tell me, she's like, I'm pretty sure they're illegal and they just don't want to say. <laughs> and like, they're like, oh, yeah, we're from here. <laughs> All I got from my grandma the last time I talked to her is that grandpa, like we were cattle ranchers in yeah. Mexico and moved from there like up and came into the U.S. via like New Mexico yeah. and then journey to California because it seemed like a place to be. But yeah, a lot of real non-specific answers. <laughs> yeah. about Dude, I think that'd be cool for you to get to like go back and see. I know. I just, it's, it's one of those weird things. I'm like, why does it have to be a secret? Yeah. It's like, don't ask, don't tell There's some <laughs> sketchy stuff going on maybe, but it's, but, it's nice to be able yeah. to taste coffees from there that are good because oh, yeah. when I started in coffee, it was the thing to our we don't buy coffees from Mexico yeah. because they're not good. Yeah. And it was just... And I've tasted a lot of... Yeah, I mean, I've four or five lot, years <laughs> ago, I tasted a lot of coffees that they were not good. They weren't very good, yeah. But I, I, it's awesome. And it's cool to hear you say that it's actually lucrative for people to start growing coffee yeah. right now. So it, it might be kind of a, a win-win. How, how do you think people can approach building relationships in a world where it's so easy to not have relationships. And what I mean by that is there's a lot more specialty importers. Yep. So it's easier to just look on, you know, whoever's site and I can just buy coffee and not think about what it comes from, where yep. it comes from and not think about the price. Yeah. I think, I think networking, like all these, and you're starting to see more and more industry events. Obviously there's SCA, there's coffee fest, there's all these, um, you know, there's like the research, the research based kind of SCA events that are coming up. Like, yeah, spend time talking to people. Like, people are really open to share relationships, share coffee they're coming from because all these relationships, like, 
you know, I keep going back to like Ben Hameen or Luis Pedro and like Ben Hameen in Honduras or Luis Pedro in Guatemala. It's like they have, you know, hundreds of farmers they work with who they're constantly trying to improve quality and, and find homes for like the coffee that they're producing. So I think people, I think it's just going and talking, talking to other people in the industry, talk to other roasters, talk to other buyers and yeah. And just work on trying to like, to develop a relationship here or there. Also, a lot of producers are starting to come to those events. So spend time talking to those producers, tasting the coffee, and, and work on developing some of those relationships. Because that's, some, that's something like I personally, every year, I'd like to develop like a new relationship. It's one of the things that I wish I would have done a long time ago, but it just didn't seem like the sexiest thing at the time. When you're young, you know, I'm in in the industry, really excited about being a barista and all you want to do is like make espresso and pour latte art and be part of this barista thing. I kind of wish I would have developed more relationships with people because they were around and they were always excited to talk to someone and I kind of missed out on that, but but it's not too late for everyone else. It's not too late. It's not, (laughs) you can be better than me. You can do it right. (laughs) And I, I will say that if I had more foresight, even just from the business end of things, it would have been useful to have more relationships yeah. now, which is something that you're really intentional about, which is cool because I'm not as intentional about it on that end. Yeah. So it's nice. And I've seen our program flourish because of that with the diversity of coffee that we get and the quality of coffee that we get and awesome. feeling good about the coffee yeah. that we get. I, I really love our menu. I don't plug our coffee a lot because yeah. I don't know why. I, sometimes I take it for granted. Like, yeah, we're a coffee roastery. Obviously, we have coffee, but... Uh, one thing I appreciate about our program is is the range, yeah. and you see that in the cuppings that we do. And I, you know, I saw that yesterday with the coffee from Mexico, contrasted against stuff from Kenya and everywhere yeah, in between. Indo. And and I love that we're open to exploring coffee, yeah, and not just like we want to buy this coffee and that's it. Because yeah. there's like a like an amazing wide world of coffee to explore out there. Yeah. And like, and- don't miss out on that. Yeah, I want to be intentional with how we create our menu and like curate our menu and and there's things we love and you know types of coffee that we love, but I also want to kind of like push around the edges and and find some new stuff and some um, add some new coffees and offer that breadth that you're talking about. That, yeah, like where people can really like taste taste the rainbow. I, I really, really enjoy it. I think the time I enjoy it the most is just being able to take different coffees yeah. home. It really helps the subscription program, too, yeah. Yeah. because it's just, it's never boring. No, totally. We're like, we definitely, yeah, myself and Grace and the roastery kind of sit down and really think about, like, what coffees people are going to enjoy for the subscription and kind of map out. Um, you know, what that looks like. So I hope everybody out there with the subscriptions enjoying the coffee they're getting. We appreciate you. Oh, oh thanks. Son thanks. of a bitch. Well, what time is it? Oh, wow. Is it we're, almost... we're doing good. Okay. Chuck's got some fancy tickets that he's going to buy. <laughs> <I've got> <laughs> I'm, going, I'm going camping Night and being sir tonight. And one of the you know, rituals we always do is try to get tickets into the, uh, like, Midnight Esalen Hot Springs. Oh, so it's tonight. Yeah, yeah. You have to do and it And you buy the tickets day. same day. Yeah. So we're going Dude, to... Dude, that's heavy. Yeah, we're going to a concert at Henry Miller, like, the wood, like Henry Miller Woods, which is just, like, this little stage in the Redwoods. And then after that, we're going to hop up to Esalen, and it's, like, hot springs, like, right on the cliffs of Big Sur. I recommend it. it. Yeah. I heard it's, like, some of the most beautiful uh, stuff. Yeah, it's... 
We got so chill. much stuff around here. It's Dude, so sick. I know. We, we, we roast coffee where people vacation. We ro- Sorry, Julia. <laughs> Dune. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Roasted where people <laughs> vacation. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, Todd and Julia's the, that's uh, their tagline from uh, Dune Roasters. The, I love the Santa Cruz because you come back to the mellowness, too. Yeah. You can go wherever. And I booked an impromptu trip to L.A., there's like a Japanese classic car show going on in Long Beach on Saturday. Okay. And David from Super Wow and I, we're going to fly up and back same day. Yeah. Because you, you just drive to San Jose. It's like oh, 30 yeah. minutes to the airport, Super one hour easy. flight, cheap, and then like probably rent. All day. We'll probably rent the most ignorant rental car, like maybe just like a <laughs> freaking Mustang convertible. Because it's like, ah, oh, just a day. No, see, you try to do that, but you'll actually get like a, a Sebring. <laughs> Chrysler Sebring convertible. <laughs> I take it. So, so much romance yeah. going on. I, yeah. I would love it. But yeah, and then you you can experience the intensity and then just yeah. come back and it, it's super chill. Well, Sea yeah. Market. So, awareness. Yeah. Just I think it's the be first aware step. of what you're buying. Do what you can. Like, take the next step. So, maybe just not accepting the C market as just the floor for what you're going to pay. Look yeah. at, look at what you want to do in the space and plan long-term and like see the impact that you want to have in the industry yep. and the impact that you want to have in your business, because you touched on this really quickly, but like you're saying, if you're buying against the differential, the price is really low production gets squeezed, people stop producing. And then four years down the line, you're building your model based off of paying like a dollar, a dollar twenty-five, a dollar fifty, and all of a sudden you're shocked with you have to pay three fifty for green coffee. Yeah, that's a big hit to your business if you weren't planning for it. Yep. So even on your end, as a roaster, you need to be aware of those things. That if yeah, you're you're like shiny happy rainbow place that you're in might not last for very yeah, long too. Yeah, if you've built your whole business around. Uh, dollar dollar 20 green cost structure uh you need to understand that that's not always going to be the case right and you're going to have to pull some <laughs> levers later on yeah. so might as well get it right and just yeah. do it do yeah. it proper and, yeah. and move towards that dude Agreed. thank you for the c market stuff dude, yeah, I, I know for everyone i know everyone's gonna love it if you want more c market stuff just freaking yell on the internet. The more you yell on the internet <laughs> yeah. about Chuck, the uh, just actually sometimes I just gotta yell on the internet. You know, I think the the way to get the way to get Chuck on the podcast is to do something that'll piss him off. <laughs> <laughs> do something that makes him so, so mad angry. that he's got to come on here. I so know. anything related to green coffee or, or business will just like yeah set me off. Yeah, just write us the most dumb emails yeah. and, and we'll get back to you. <laughs> yeah. All right, we're gonna get you your tickets. All right, yeah, I gotta log in <laughs> later, everybody. <laughs> Peace. The Cat and Cloud Coffee Podcast is brought to you by Wilbur Curtis. They make coffee brewers. Ever heard of them? If you haven't, you should. They're an awesome family-owned company. They're here in California. They power their facility with solar power, which I hear that's like a new hot thing that progressive people do. The best thing about Curtis, in my humble opinion, is the turnaround time on the brewers. They have a 24-hour turnaround it's phenomenal if you've ever ordered a brewer for a wholesale client from someone else and waited and waited and waited for it to come in you know how frustrating that is so being able to get the brewer next day like that is 
absolutely amazing. Shout out to you, Wilbur Curtis. Their customer service is phenomenal. And they just care. They care about you. They care about me. And I care about them. And that's why Cat Cloud Podcast is brought to you by Wilbur Curtis.